All right. Well, good morning. We are in the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. If you turn there with me in your Bibles, it might take you a little while to find. It's after uh, like Psalms and Proverbs, then you got the major prophets of like Jeremiah and Isaiah, and it goes into some minor prophets. They're, they're not minor because they're less important. They're minor because they're little books, right? They're little ones, a little page or two books. And uh, if you get to Malachi, you've gone too far. If you get to Zephaniah, you've gone too far. It's right before that, uh, the little book of Habakkuk. We are going to be uh, starting today an eight-week series on the book of Habakkuk. And uh, the, the kind of tagline of the series is uh, worry to worship. It's from going from worry to worship. And we're going to see uh, this prophet dealing with some things that, that he's seeing in his lifetime uh, and dealing with the, the chaos of sin and what, what uh, sin causes. But we're going to see him, him go from a distraught and despaired place to a place of, of ultimate trust in God. And, and for you and I, we can mirror that today. And as we look at the text today, uh, we are going to see, uh, see it as a mirror of our society and culture and, and maybe even of our own heart and where we are. So I, I just want to make sure you understand this is not for hundreds and hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago. This is for us today as well. It's a rich, rich text that we should glean from and, and learn from, and, and I hope we do that. Um, there, there's a lot of things in this text. A lot of people don't, don't want to cover a minor prophet book like Habakkuk. It's like, eh, and I, I have, to be honest, I mean, why did I pick this book? It was really because God kept laying the name Habakkuk on my heart. I'm like, what do we do next? And Habakkuk kept on coming to the forefront. So I don't know why I picked it, other than God kind of said we need to go through this. Um, so I know it's going to be relevant for us today, and it's, it certainly is as I've studied it now, uh, very relevant for where we are as a church, where we might be individually, where we are as a, certainly as a community and, and certainly as a nation and world. Uh, you are going to see glimpses of that here. And overarching all those glimpses of, of really rough times and despair, what we're going to find is this overwhelming love and faithful love of God that will support us and encourage us and draw us out of this miry pit of disgustingness and lift our spirits to be able to still worship him even in the midst of that chaos. So we're going to see that through the book of Habakkuk. Um, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4 today, and the sermon title is The Burden of Sin. Uh, so the series is From Worry to Worship, and today we're going to look at the first thing, the burden of sin. Next week we're going to talk about the reality of sin and the depth of sin. But uh, Habakkuk, uh, this, this message that we have here is a prophetic message that was given to Habakkuk as he kind of started to ask questions and what, God, what's going on here? He had some despair going on. So God gave him this, this vision, uh, or this prophet through a, through prophecy through a vision. Um, in it, he enters into this conversation with God. And, and he needs to expose his own, his own heart, his own misgivings, his, his people's misgivings, and the world around him. He needs to understand, God, why, if you're so sovereign uh, over your faithful love and steadfast love, why are these things happening in our world? Uh, a similar question, not the same, but a similar question would be, and we hear this often in the world, uh, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? Right? Why do we have bad things going on if God is so good? And we'll, and we'll cover that throughout this text. We'll cover it today a bit, too. Um, but that, that's similar to what he was saying. He, but he knew God was still good. He didn't question God's goodness. He just was wondering, God, what's the plan? How are you going to come through here? How are you going to win? Um, he's, he's a prophet, and, and we'll see this as we go through the text in the coming weeks. He's a prophet who lived with the consequences and repercussions of Israel's sin. And, and, and he sees what we're going to see described here. He sees this happen within his own lifetime. He, Habakkuk becomes, uh, he is now a remnant of the faithful in Israel, and he becomes one of those of, of, of Israel, the Israelites, who are taken into captivity by the Babylon. So he's a part of that. Um, he uses Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to, uh, Babylonians to 
to pull them into captivity. And so the, the best hypothesis of the, of the time period of when this book was written or when this took place was between 605 B.C. and 597 B.C. 605 was when, Egypt, when the Babylons conquered Egypt, and then uh, 597 was when the Babylons came in and took, took the Israelites captive out of Jerusalem. And that was King Nebuchadnezzar. So uh, along with, uh, with guys like Daniel who were there, right, and taken into captivity, uh, other of his compatriots, uh, Habakkuk's, were Zephaniah and Nahum and Jeremiah who lived during the same time and were prophets of God during that same time. So uh, we, see, we see this exile happening and this judgment's coming, but we're going to see what sets the stage for that. And it's not something we see that's new. Uh, the, the, this pattern is something that's repeated on and on since the dawn of time, this pattern, pattern of, of loving God, rebelling against God, being in despair, calling out to God, God rescuing, continues to be shown. And it's, it's probably shown in our lives. And we might even count on our hands like how many times we've done that personally to God, right? We love God. We rebel against God. We turn from God. We cry out to God. He disciplines us. We come back to God. There's this cycle that happens. And we want to ha- have that happen less in our heart, right? And we want, as a people of God, we want to be faithful to Him. So we're going to be in, in Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and pray over our text, and then we'll, we'll get going. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God. We thank you that it's living and active. God, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. We ask that, God, uh, you would illuminate our hearts with your, your Scripture, with your truth. God, that we'd be open and receptive to, to see what you have in store for us today and in the coming weeks. God, that we would see Scripture here even as a mirror in our own lives. And, and God, that we would challenge ourselves, and you would challenge us by your Spirit. God, to look at ourselves more, more in depth, and God, that you would, you would cause us to repent of our disobedience, of our sin. And God, we would turn back to you, to, to faithfulness, to you. We thank you that you are always faithful. We ask that you would guide us now, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, Lord, must I call for help, and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence, and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence uh, are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Now, that's all we're going to cover today. And and it kind of sounds like a bummer, but we're going to see some hope-filled areas of this too as we look at the text and we look at the New Testament as well and, and God's covenant for his people. But we're going to look at uh, three different areas that, that will focus in on the burden of sin. We look at the burden of sin. As, as Habakkuk goes, he's, he's burdened. And, and we're going to look at the burden that sin causes in life. Uh, before we get there, the, the first verse, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. This word oracle is translated message or uh, it, it's actually to lift up, something that you're going to lift up and present as a message. Uh, or it's a burden. It's, it's like a burden that you will carry. So it's interesting, as we talk about the burden of sin, you and I can see that all around the world. There's not a day that goes by where a news headline or a TV news show or something comes up on your Facebook feed and you are just disgusted with, with the, the reality of the world, right? And, and so many conversations we have, like, I don't even watch the news anymore, right? It doesn't mean it's not happening. It's still prevalent all around the world, right? We, 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 when we want to flee from God and run from obedience to God, moral, moral depravity will ensue. And, and we'll see the depth of that in every single news headline. Now, there's some silver lining there. There's still good people and good things happening out there and people who love God and want to obey Him. But the world is pretty rough, isn't it? 
It's a pretty sad place. So there's this burden that we, you and I, even feel every day just by living in this world. Habakkuk, it's not different then either. He's looking around and sees this world, and he has this burden, this grief because of sin. It's, it is okay for us to be grieved over sin. But with that burden, he goes to God with a burden and sees this vision, and God gives him this prophecy. And it, the oracle is translated, the burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw. So not only does he have a burden already of, about sin, God then places this burden, this message that he has for God's people on the shoulders of Habakkuk the prophet to share with his people. And it, it is a burden. And we should understand that burden, that, that we have a burden also because of sin in the world. And, and we'll see in our text as we go on, there's, there's a propensity for us to become a little jaded or numb or just like uh, indifferent to it and just let them, let them do what they're going to do. We'll do something different. And, and that, that gets us in a place of, of not really being burdened about sin in the world. Certainly it starts with us, doesn't it? Sin in our own lives. That we should look, look right here introspectively to our own heart, look in the mirror and say, what about me? Am I being disobedient? Am I grieved over my own actions? And then from there, that should trickle out to our families and to our, our communities and our relationships. But there should be grief over sin. So there's this burden that he has uh, and that the message, that, that Habakkuk, the message that he received is a burden. And then it goes on. So three, three areas. The burden of sin, number one, causes lament. And that word lament is, is crying, right? It causes grief or sorrow. It's uh, that I want to share my heart, the, the, the misery in my heart over something. So it causes lament. Look at verse 2. So Habakkuk goes into this, this cry, this prayer. And we've seen this similar language echoed in other parts of Scripture, and we'll see that today too. But in verse 2 it says, How long, Lord, how long must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save you know when we see something like this we, we see a prophet who sometimes we think well the, what are they saying they shouldn't say that to god right you're kind of questioning god and we almost put put ourselves in a position of saying he doesn't think god's present he thinks god's totally absent he's gone there's no trust there at all but that's not the case habakkuk cries out to god because he trusts god he, he, is, he is that faithful remnant who knows that god's faithful love is going to endure he's just wondering when? How long is it going to take? And that's okay. You can ask that question. How long, God? This is, this is horrible all around. So he knows God. He trusts God. But the burden of sin should cause a deep lament in faithful people. Right? When we see sin abounding and moral depravity all around, we should be sorrowful over that. Everyone, to, to Habakkuk, it looks like everyone has plunged themselves into moral madness. They do whatever they want. They've forsaken the Lord and they've forsaken his covenant with his people. Right? They're striving for personal gain and personal pleasure. And they're striving for self-promotion. And sin is just rampant. There's doctrinal and covenantal unfaithfulness everywhere you look. That's what he's dealing with. And that is not unsimilar to today. It's just like today. It's not the first time uh, this pattern has been repeated throughout the years. And, and this time, we, we talk about that, that 605 B.C. to uh, 597, uh, there was a king in Israel, Josiah, who, who came back to the throne. And in a, in a wicked time in Israel's history, he comes to the throne, and, and they, they find the truth. They find the word of God again and says, this is what we need to follow. And, and there's, he institutes new statutes and new ordinances and, and reform and says, we're going we're gonna to be about God. We're going to be God's people. And that's what he started. And time was getting better because they turned back to God. But then as soon as he dies, all that goes out the window, and those spiritual reforms are short-lived. And they go back to being an immoral king, an immoral kingdom, and an immoral people. It's not the first time this pattern 
happens, though. This happens in Israel's history often. And I want to look at David. If you turn with me to Psalm chapter 13, keep your finger here, your ribbon, but turn with me to Psalm chapter, chapter 13. Now, we covered this psalm uh, over the summer. We've been going through the summer in the psalms. So if you want more in-depth study about that and maybe you missed it or want a refresher, you can go online to our, our podcast and you can download or, or listen to that sermon from last summer to get a little more explanation. We are going to read the entire psalm. It's short, but it, but it puts some perspective on, on people like David or people like Habakkuk who, who really have a lament and really are wondering how long, but there is still a trust in their heart. There is still a trust in God's sovereignty. That he, they're wondering still how long, but we'll, we'll get to that. So Psalm 13, here's what it says. How long, Lord? David just asked, right? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Now Habakkuk was similar to this. He, he knew of God's faithful love. He trusted in God's faithful love. But he saw violence and corruption abounding. Sin was everywhere. Immorality was everywhere. And he was wondering, God, how long, how long are you going to put up with this? Interesting, we had a, a great men's breakfast yesterday morning here in, uh, in Hoyt, gave us a study on Psalm 23. We're going through a study actually uh, that Matt Chandler does. And, and part of that portion was, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, interesting, we talked about this in depth, and it was, it was really a great revelation our, uh, during our table discussion and during our just general discussion about this. Um, when you talk about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, oftentimes we feel like there's a time or a moment when it'll come where I'll be in this deep valley, a, a time of distress where I'm going to need the Lord. And, and we just go on with that, like that's our position. But really, is there ever a time in your life where you don't need the Lord? It, one of the things that came up is that because sin has entered the world, and that means death has entered the world, that you and I are constantly and always on this side of heaven living and walking in the valley of the shadow of death. Always. And even though we walk and live in the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with us. Because God is with us. And it goes on to say, during this time, as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as you see corruption everywhere, as you see people that aren't faithful, they're faithless and they're selfish, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil for I'll comfort you and I'll be there to guide you. My rod and my staff, they will comfort you. Right? A shepherd's crook or staff is there to guide and bump and, and discipline and correct the sheep. Let's go this way, not over the cliff, right? This is what the, the staff does. The rod is there as a defense mechanism to, to defend and fend off bears or wolves or lions and tigers. Oh, my. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. But that's the same thing for our life. Though we walk through the, the valley of the shadow of death, every single day God is with us. Habakkuk knew that too. He trusted in that. David knew that. He trusted in that. But sometimes it gets hard living in the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't it? That's why we need to lean into God even more. That's when we have to. Can't abandon him during that time. He says, how long, Lord? And I, I thought about that, and there's some other passages that came to mind. We're going to look at one in the, the, the book of Numbers in a minute. And, but how long? The idea of how long? 
See, Numbers uh, gives us an account of, of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and they're about to go into the promised land, right? God, God has been amazing to bring them out of Egypt, to bring them across the Red Sea, and, and they're, they're going in, into the promised land. God has been with them every step of the way. And what do they do? They murmured and complained often, didn't they? It's like us. It's a, it's a mirror for us as well. But God had provided for them. And then they get close to the land and they decide, let's send some spies in there to check it out. Let's, let's case the joint and make sure we're, we're, we know what's going on. They send 12 spies and they come back and 10 of them say what? We're dead meat. We're dead meat. We're not going over there. We felt like grasshoppers when we entered it. And when we saw these people, we felt even more like grasshoppers. We're going to get squished. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, no. Come on, God has brought us this far. What are you talking about? We can go in there. Surely God is going to hand them over to us because he's brought us this far. He's told us to go, and he told us he'll be with us. And they all grumbled and complained and, and said, no way, that's not a good idea. And here's what they said in verse 10 of chapter 14. The whole community then threatened to stone them. Like, you can't be our leaders. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at, a, at the tent of meeting. The, uh, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me despite all the signs I have performed among them? You know, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to say, how long? And God, we long for something different. But we better be ready for that, that to answer the question from God. How long will you or I continue to fall away from God or despise the Lord. You know, I think about when I was a kid and when I'd get in trouble. Usually if I got in trouble, my dad took care of it right then and we were done. We were good, right? There was no, there was no punishment that was long-term. It was like you got disciplined, it was done. My mom, on the other hand, would send us to our room. Right? We'd be grounded, right? Or, or, or she'd take away privileges uh, of things. And that was interesting because, you know, as parents, and I know, I mean, that battle is a pretty tough battle. That's not just a Go to your room. It's a, I have to maintain that they stay there, that they do what I've told them to do and not do what I've told them not to do while they're there. And then I've got to put a timer on and I try not to cave because it's just not, not convenient for me anymore. Right? And, and I remember like, like the, in my heart, I'm sitting there in a bad attitude. I'm like, Mom, how long? How long do I need to stay in here? You know what she'd, she'd say? Or you know, I, I don't know. How, how long are you going to stay like this? I do that with my kids. How long? You tell me, how long? How long is it going to take for you to change your ways? How long is it take, going to take for you to change your attitude? How long is it going to take for you to be a respectful, obedient child? You see, it, it's really easy to turn that back around on us, isn't it? We say, how long, God? How long? I'm suffering. I'm suffering. You're like, I, I don't know. How long? When are you going to quit? When are you going to quit squirming here and get with the program? And that was done over and over. That pattern was done over and over in Israel, Israel, the Israelites' time. They would dis disobey and rebel. They'd say, God, help us. Well, how long are you going to rebel? How long are you going to stay far from me? You see, that sin in the world, sin in our lives, should cause us to lament and then come, come back to the Lord and say, man, I'm sorry that took me so long. Because he's right there ready to be with us and guide us and to bless us with his covenantal love. But what's the root of this? Well, that's number two. Not only should we lament over sin, but the, the burden of sin is the fruit of pride. Right? This, the, the, we, we see the pride that wells up within people is what happens. It's, it just doesn't happen overnight. But usually when I got in trouble, I did something wrong because I wanted to do something wrong because I wanted it. 
right? It wasn't, oops, an accident. Accidents were looked over quite a bit, right? But, but it was from the heart. Look at verse 3 and back in Habakkuk. So he's asked the question, how long? Now he asks another question in verse 3. Why? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. Now Habakkuk is a faithful remnant. He's, he's not trying to disobey. He wants to, wants to see the, the, the fruition of God's covenant love for his people, but his people are all running amok. And it's causing distress. And he's like, God, I, I'm watching this. See, he has this word violence in here. He talks about violence in, in the section above. Um, in, in the verse uh, 2, he says, I cry out to you about violence and you don't save. And here he says, why do you force me to look at injustice or tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing. Right? This, is, this is what it, the, the scene looks like. But, but Habakkuk has this violence thing in his mind. He, he knows that God won't tolerate this for long. And, and, and this, is not, this has been a cycle in, in God's people in their lives, right? Um, we talked about the idea of the corruption that followed King Josiah, but we see other historical situations where, where this occurs and sets up the same set of circumstances. And there's two ways this usually happens with Israel. One is this, they'll, they'll reject the moral obedience to God and, and, and as God's covenant people. They'll say, we're not going to be morally obedient to you, God. We're going to do whatever the heck we want. That's the one section. The other side is they're going to reject God as their king. They're going to say, I, we, don't, we want an actual person in front of us to lead us, to guide us, to speak on your behalf. We don't, we, it, this is too difficult. We want something else. And we've seen that in Israel's history, right? So on the first note, when we talk about leaving the moral compass, uh, there was a, a Deuteronomy 28, and actually it's for further study. You can look at it at the back of your notes, and there's a discussion sheet on there for later. I would, I would encourage you to go and read Deuteronomy 28. It's not very fun reading. Maybe it's like Judges. It's like the PG-13 thing. You might want to like read it once before you share it with your family. And kind of get a, get a gist of it. But basically, God says, listen, uh, th- this is who my covenant people are, and this is how they obey, and this is how they look, and this is how I respond to that. And then this is how my, my people that aren't covenant people with me will look and respond, and this is how I'll respond to that. Like, I'm, I'm not going to bless people who decide to curse me. He wants a people set aside for himself who are obedient to him. So I'm going to read one verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 29, and it kind of gives an idea of this violence, right? It connects to the violence. This isn't even the worst of the worst of what's written there. This is just kind of what happens when we decide to go our own way. It says in verse 29, it says, you will only be oppressed and robbed continually, and no one will help you. Just that oppression and, and that injustice going on around, I mean, that's what sin causes and sin creates and sin stirs up. They're, re- they're rejecting, right? They're rejecting uh, obedience to God. They're saying, I, I don't want to obey your moral law. And, and again, this violence is in mind. Going further, t- talking about the idea of, of, of rejecting him as king. We look at uh, 1 Samuel, and, and 1 Samuel 8, 18, I don't think it's in your notes, but this passage in 1 Samuel, uh, Israel is really, they are, they're begging, begging God, begging the prophet, say, we want a king. Give us a king who will go out and speak on our behalf on the battlefield. Give us someone who we can talk to. And God's like, that's going to be a bad idea. That's a person. Even if we find the best person we can, they're going to mess up. It will not go well for you. Are you sure you want this? And then it says in in verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 18, it says uh, that trouble's going to come. It says, when that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. If you you want to forsake me, you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want to forsake me, I'm gone. I'm done. 
live in that mess, live in that despair, lament over the sin and the burden that sin will cause, you will make a mess of yourselves. See, the consequences for rejecting God as king is a wicked monarchy and oppression and, and, and causes the people to be in a state of flux and injustice. You look at the world around us. We have evil leaders all over the place. And we have injustice all over the place. And we wonder why are they calling right wrong and wrong right? Because sin has entered the world and we have chosen to say, God, we don't need it. We don't need you. You can step aside. We'll be our own God. Habakkuk knows this, and he knows this violence is present and, and that people's hearts are far from God. And, and he's thinking, maybe it's worse than I thought it was. And I, I want to give you another instance where this word is used, this word violence is used. I'm going to read the verse out of Genesis chapter 6. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence or wickedness. Who knows where, where this is said? What happens next? God floods the whole earth. He says, I'm going to destroy everything. So, so Habakkuk is viewing through the lenses of what's happened in, in, in world history and how God has judged people. He's seeing the world running amok again. And in the back of his mind, he's like, am I going to have to build a boat? Knowing all the while he won't ever flood the earth again because God made a covenant promise with the rainbow and said no, right? But what, God, what's going on here? I feel like basically this is a, a Noah's Ark kind of situation going down and a few of us are left and I don't know what your plan is. What is going to happen? Well, I'm going deeper though. Again, this is a, an issue with the heart. Right? Sin comes from this, this it is the fruit of pride. And I want to read another passage out of Isaiah chapter 14. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that. Isaiah 14. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14 together. And, and I want us to see, how do we get to that place to throw aside God, to throw aside His ordinances, to throw aside what, what He wants in our lives? So Isaiah chapter 14, this is talking about Lucifer, right, and his fall from heaven. This is Satan. This is the devil. What is the root of this? Let's, let's see what this pride looks like. Isaiah 14, 12 says this, Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. You, destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, listen, listen to the pride here. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That is not a good place to be. That's what led to Satan's fall. He said, I, I, I don't want him to be God. I want to be God. And then we see Satan, after he falls from heaven, where does he show up? He shows up in the garden, right, of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it says this, The serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, he's getting crafty, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat, eat it or touch it which was adding to Scripture, and he didn't say that. Or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. 
the oldest temptation there is. Oh, I, I can be like God? Then yes, please, sign me up for that. But you and I can't handle that pressure, can we? We, we like to think we can. And when we think we can, that, that's the root, that pride that causes all types of sin. And then what Habakkuk goes on to say is that justice is perverted and inverted, and it's all, it's all awash. It doesn't matter. We're all numb. And justice is never carried out. Why? Because I do what I want. It's from the core of my heart. You see, th- this is the temptation for all of us to be filled with pride. And if we looked in the mirror, we might be saying the same thing. God, I, I don't want you. I want to be God. And we need to challenge ourselves with that temptation because that temptation is from the one who fell from heaven. It's from the one that's the deceiver who wants us to believe a lie, and it is absolutely a lie. So there's a temptation for us to, to be like that, to say, I can be my own God and do whatever I want. What God says doesn't matter because he's just a different God. He's not really the big God. I'll be my own God. And we don't, we don't even say that, but we say that with our actions. We say that with our attitudes, don't we? We, we don't come out and say, I, I'm bigger than God, but we act like it. That's the temptation. But there is a model and an example for us that's different. A model and example for us that we should follow. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, and we've talked about this uh, in November. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, right? Not of Satan, where I can be God, but adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Now understand this. Our attitude is to be like God's attitude. Well, what was it, right? What was the attitude? We're going to see that. This is Jesus who is God. This is is God, and it's God then who takes on flesh as well. It is God and and man, 100% of both, total God, total man, and, and he became a servant of all. He didn't say, Although I am God, I'm not going to use that to be exploited or, or grab onto that deeply or strongly. I, I'm going to come and serve. So here's what it says. He, he uh, did not consider equality with God as something to ex- be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the example, that's the model that we have of getting over ourselves. And we aren't even God, right? We, we aren't God who can say, I'm not going to consider that right now, I'm just going to be humble. We see God humbling himself to serve us so that we could have the same attitude as, of Christ and say, I want to be humbly obedient also. See, the temptation that was going on in that day and the temptation that goes on in this day is, I can be God, I can do it on my own, I will do it on my own, Nobody get in my way. I'm not wrong. You are. That's the temptation. But the model we have is one of faithful, humble obedience to the Father, to God. And that's what God's looking for. That was not happening in Habakkuk's day. It's not happening in our day. It may not be happening in your life. Sometimes maybe you're going through this dark valley and you don't even understand why it's so despairing and you're trudging through mud and gunk, and it's, it, you, you thought God was with you, there has to be a point where you look in the mirror and where you admit and say, I, I've tried to be my own God. I'm trying to do, all, do it all on my own. I, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do my own thing. And where you have to say, I'm done. I quit. I give up. I, I will return back to the Lord. I'll let Him be God, and I will humble myself and be obedient to Him. 
That's what he's longing for, a people set apart of his own to be obedient to him. It comes from pride. This burden of sin, this deep sin in the world comes from pride. Number three, the burden of sin. The burden of sin perverts justice. It perverts justice. Look at Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 4, our last text, or last Habakkuk text of the day. <clears throat> this is why. Well, what, what is why? You go back to the, the one right before that, which was right there. Uh, he says, how long? And then he goes into, where did I go? There it is. Uh, the fruit of pride. He says, why do you force me to look at injustice, wrongdoing, oppression, violence, strife, and conflict? Right? All these things are going on. All that stuff's happening from the fruit of pride. All of it's going on. And then he says, this is why. Because that's happening, this is why the law is ineffective. And justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. When you read with your small group later on or by yourself in the quietness of your own, whatever, when you go through Deuteronomy 28 and, and look at that, it is, a, it is painting a, a huge picture of what's happening today. It, it is like, are you kidding me? How do they know? I mean, it, this is what's going on. Right is no longer right anymore, is it? It's wrong or it's left. It's, it's up is down, down is up, right is wrong, wrong is right. Boys are girls, girls are boys. It doesn't matter anymore. Everything's been twisted. Everything's been inverted. Everything's been, been perverted. Uh, next week, we're going to see the reality and depth of that. The week after, even more so. It is crazy how, how the order of things has just went upside down. And, and see, in this, in this instance, in this passage right here we're reading today, it's all about the morality. It's about us choosing to do whatever we want out of selfish desires, out of pride. And when we do that, everything gets flipped upside down. Now, it's all about being on top. It's all about ego. It's all about me accomplishing more and being better and, and not looking guilty and causing blame to go somewhere else. It's all about that. It doesn't, truth doesn't matter anymore. May it never be with us. It says that the law is ineffective, or the word is numb. It's, it's numb. And I, I want you to think about that. The law that's out there, there's law in the books. We shouldn't do this, but people don't care. And the law sits idly by, numbed, and I oh, can't do anything. And then what happens? People become numb to it also. They get used to it. Oh, no big deal. This is how we are. It's just part of our society. I can't believe we're, we're getting there. Because we're not saying anything. Because we're not doing anything. We're just... Sitting there numb, like, whatever, go ahead and do what you want. That's not how we are to react and respond. We're to say, I want to serve and love God above all. That's where we want to start. We want to go back to Him. But the law is ineffective, and justice never emerges, for the wicked restrict the righteous, and therefore justice comes out perverted. It's all upside down. Where does it come from? Well, James 1 says this, uh, no one undergoing a trial should say that God is tempting, tempting me, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But here it is. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. This is where justice begins to be inverted and perverted. Where I'm not going to follow a standard, I'm going to follow my own standard. And I'm going I'm to be enticed and led away to my own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. We go down that road, not knowing where it's going to take us, but it says right there, it's pretty clear. It's going to lead to death, despair, grief, loss, all, all of that, because we decided to be enticed by our own desires and not obey God. 
See, we carry out wicked and perverted forms of justice, and, and it's all over. I mean, wh why do people get off on certain things and, and not get off for other things? And I'll, I'll just look around. I, I look at the police blotter, and it's not a, not a, a dig against the police department. You look at the police, the police blotter, it's like so-and-so arrested for such-and-such. They were cited and released. 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 No one is held accountable for their actions anymore. Everyone's cited and released. Why? Because there's too many people in jail. Right? And the, and the law is ineffective in some way, and justice comes out perverted. I, I, it's just where we live. It's, what, it's what's going on in the world around us all the time. But it comes from this place of pride and our own evil desires. We want to be on top. We want what's best for ourselves. We want our ego to be, be bolstered in some way. We want, we want to be right and other people to be wrong. And here's what happens. We, we do this because we're numb, and it numbs us even more. See, there, there's a weight that each of us carry. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and we have the weight and, sh and shame of that and the guilt of sin upon ourselves, our very own sin to carry. And how do I feel better about myself? I numb myself to that shame and my guilt. I put myself on top, my own self-righteousness. I do whatever I want, and it gets a little bit more numb. And it's like I can't feel the load of that burden anymore. But guess what? The burden doesn't go away. When we continue to numb ourselves through sin, that burden will always still be there. That shame will always still be there. That the guilt will always still be there. And you and I will have to stand before God and give an account for it one day. That is not the way sin is removed and the burden is removed from us. There's no freedom in just numbness. There's freedom in faith. There's freedom in obedience. While sin may be perverted in this way, I think there's another way that we see sin inverted. I wouldn't say go, go so far to say it's perverted, but it's inverted a different way. And I want us to turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 53. We see this justice becoming inverted, but that's what grace is all about. That's what mercy is all about. We can't carry the burden, and, and, and the burden doesn't go away just by numbing the pain of the burden. Maybe you're totally numb today, and you need to... to Wise up and, and repent and humble yourself and say, God, I, I know I've got a burden on there I'm carrying, and I, and I need you to carry it for me. He's gracious and loving, and his, his faithful love says he will carry it for us. He will free us from it. And it's so important for us to go to him instead of our own kingship, our own ways. We have to stop rejecting his law and his ways and stop rejecting him as king. We have to go and embrace him as king. And that grace, that inverted weird justice that God offers is, is totally satisfied because of what, what, it, what it accomplished and how it was accomplished. We're going to see that in a minute. But that's grace. Getting something you don't deserve. People, people always cry about, oh, it's not very fair, that person gets that. If you, if you really want God to be fair, we're all in for it. Right? We do, we, honestly, we don't want God to be fair, do we? Because please God, no. Because we all deserve it. But God, being just and holy, couldn't be unfair. So he inverted justice so that justice still could be satisfied and you and I could be forgiven. Here's what it says in, in Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 4. Yet he himself, speaking of the Messiah, bore our sickness. He carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. You know what it says here? Oh, that guy, that, he did something wrong. He brought that upon himself. That's not, that's not my stuff. That's his stuff. He's carrying his own load. We'll carry on. Verse 6 or 5. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, 
and we are healed by His wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished Him for the iniquity of us all. Tell me how that's fair. It's not. It's grace. Stop inverting your own justice. Stop perverting your own sin. And turn to what God has done for you in Christ. And trust Him in faith that He can forgive, that He can take the burden of sin and guilt and shame off of your shoulders. Believe Him today. Trust in Him today. He willingly, in verse 11, submitted to death. He was counted among the rebels, yet He bore the sin of many and He intercedes for the rebels. He was counted as a rebel, but He bore our sins and He intercedes to the Father on our behalf. The last passage I want to read today is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. That's Jesus. The one who did not know sin was made to know sin, to bear sin for us. Right? He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It's only in Him. We, we can never accomplish it. And, and most of the time, we, we know that. We get that. If we really got what we deserved, we know we'd be hosed. So we try to numb ourselves and puff ourselves up and make ourselves look better and make ourselves feel better and comfortable, but we're just numbing the pain. All the while, there's this weight, this burden on our shoulders, and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you something you don't deserve by you not getting what you do deserve. I'm going to go to that cross. I'm going to bear the shame. I'm going to bear the guilt. I'm going to bear the pain. I'm going to bear the sin. I'm going to let the wrath of God be satisfied for you on me. And that's what He did for us. So that we might take our filthy rags and drop them aside and be clothed with a righteousness that we never earned, that we certainly did not deserve, but that was accomplished for us through the cross and imputed to us through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, that's, that's the good news interlaced with all of the despair around. And though I walk through and live in the valley of the shadow of death and experience all kinds of horrors and sin all around me, I will fear no evil because God is with me. His rod and staff, they comfort me. God is the one who will carry that burden. God is the one who will free us from that burden so we can live humbly obedient to Him. Amen? Let's stand and pray together.